You're listening to the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray the message will encourage, inspire, and challenge you to experience the real Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now, let's tune in. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody? Having a great weekend so far? Yeah, great. Good, good. Well, I'm excited. Uh, Today, we are going to uh, put a, a bookend on the series, Love Defined, and we have had a great time teaching. I say we because I feel like we've kind of taught each other. Some of the, the uh, questions that you've sent in challenged me, and, um, and so today we're going to go and we're going to take the morning and we're going to answer your questions as it pertains to this series. Um, I just believe the Lord calls us to a deep understanding of His Word, and what we're going to give you today is not an understanding from Pastor Josh and Pastor Wendy's perspective, it's a perspective from God's Word. How many know man's ideas come and go, but God's Word lasts forever? Amen. And so we're always going to do that. So uh, before we get things started, I just want to introduce to you a, uh, I always call her my rib. She's my partner in crime. She is everything to me. And when I thought about coming to teach this, I knew I needed a woman's perspective. And there is no a uh, better uh, woman. There is no more powerful woman of God that I know. Uh, I get to see her daily in her word. I get to see her daily loving you and taking care of you as the church. Would you join me in welcoming uh, the first lady, Wendy Neal? Hey, sweetheart. This is exciting. We haven't done this since the... Uh, since the summer thing, the summer launch deal. We haven't talked together in a long time. I'm excited. This is a... <laughs> yes. There you go. I think you can let it down on the side a little bit if you need to. You got it? There you go. You got it figured out. Yeah, that feels better. Yep, yep. The guys in the back always play. You guys don't know this, but they play pranks on me every week. There's generally something on the podium like check your zipper or, or you have a booger in your nose. And so they got you, they just put your stool too high, so you just spin around. It just and keeps spinning. Well, you can lower it down some if you we need to. You have like a no-spin variety. A no-spin no zone. Wait a second, I think they actually exist somewhere. Um, guys, today we're going to answer your questions. And again, thank you so much for sending your questions. Uh, some of them were just amazing. Uh, and some of them were honestly uh, just heartfelt. And so I thank you for sending those. There were no crazy or no weird questions. They were all wonderful questions. So thank you so much for sending those. Um, Wendy, let's just open up and just, just kind of kind of re-encapsulate this series for everybody who love to find. Yeah, I want to start with saying just I've been surprised, honestly, at um, how challenged I've been throughout this series. And um, from feedback, even all of you, um, you know, We'll always say, okay, this series brought a bunch of feedback or, you know, that series brought feedback. But this one really has brought a lot of feedback and honestly kind of blown my hair back. Um, And when Josh and I were preparing, we're neither one of us are like script people. Like, don't give me a script and expect me to follow it. Let me just wing (laughs) it because with a script, I'm just going to like just freeze and not be able to do anything. So. But when we really started going into that, I was like, the thing I keep thinking is we've got to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. We've got to go back to the way we launched this because it's important. And I've got to tell you, the, the scriptures that uh, you started with, I had to even ask myself. Like, I think we all know 1 Corinthians 13, love is 
patient, love is kind, love it. You know, like we all kind of know that scripture, but when you applied it the first week, it even got on my toes a little and just made me stop and self-examine. I think if any of us ever get to the point that we stop saying, wait, am I living this? Am I applying this scripture to me? Because it's easy for me to apply scripture to someone else, right? Like, oh, is Josh being patient right now? (laughs) Now, Josh, that didn't feel very kind. Like, it's easy for me to put that on somebody else, right? But am I stopping? Am I really prayerfully saying, Lord, find in me clean hands and pure heart? Am I stopping and saying, Lord, show me the ways that I may or may not be living the scripture. So yeah. I want to start at verse one. Can we start Go, at verse please. one? Take off. Okay. You got me? Awesome. Okay. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And to me, you know, my small group spent some time studying the life of Jesus and how he kind of like gets on the Pharisees quite a bit, right? He really, you know, gets on them pretty good. I thought this is what he said. This is what Jesus did. He said, listen, you can look the part. You can do all the things and show the people how well you love them and you self-sacrifice and you do, you know, all the things for other people. But if you're not having, if you're not loving, like really loving, and then he shows us what love is. So I'll let you talk for a minute. Well, thank you. The, um, um, she has a lot of good things to say. I'm just going to let her go. The, um, one of the things that uh, a lot of my counseling sessions start with is a thank you first for coming, but also for taking the mask off. Well, we've gotten really good at wearing masks in our society today, haven't we? Uh, we know how to show up to church and appear like everything's okay. We know how to show up to work and look like we're well put together, but inside things can be uh, incomplete shambles. Well, in the same way, we know how to appear as a believer, and we may not be checking all the boxes as to what love is and what we're called to do through love as a believer. And so I'm going to keep reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, which this is the most famous part. It says, love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices instead with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so I thought it was imperative that we kind of start back off today as we go into your questions uh, and just kind of re-encapsulate what this entire uh, series has been. And it's defining what love is. And love being uh, the verb uh, that is in action, then we have to apply these uh, uh, characteristics of it in every aspect, in every relationship of our life that is considered a loving relationship, which if we go back to the beginning, that starts with our friends. It's our family. Uh, and then last week we talked about dating and marriage. And so each one of these relationships has some aspect of love to it. And so uh, we actually broke down the questions on the four different topics. So we were going to talk about friends first, then we're going to go family, then we're going to talk about dating, and then we're going to hit marriage last. And so 
to kick things off, let's jump right into friends. Um, the first question we received was, is how do I know when it's time to end a friendship? How many of you guys have ever been there? You know it may be time to, it's time to maybe cut some people out of your life, maybe, maybe amputate some of that bad mojo. Because how many knows if, if people are in your life and they're bringing bad energy, a lot of times it's as simple as just not spending as much time with that person and you can shift the way you feel, right? And so, uh, Wendy, I'll let you start answering that one. Well, I think first off, um, before we decide it's time to end something, maybe taking a look at what have I done? Have I been honest? Have I had hard conversations? That's good. Have I tried to put in any boundaries of, hey, this is not, this is hard for me, or this is something I can't do, um, so this is where the boundary is going to be, and having an honest conversation with our friends to um, make sure that we've done that. Yeah. I would say that's first, and then obviously if we've already done that and then we still are having struggles, then maybe it is time to look at some things to either give us more space yeah. or... Yeah. Create distance. Yeah. Yeah, so here's, here's basically how I answer this. And I, and I just gave you um, just four key things to watch for to where you will know it's time to maybe start ending, to start ending, that's funny, uh, to start ending a relationship. Maybe these are some indicators. Number one, if a relationship is keeping you from moving forward in your life, or maybe you see patterns in a relationship that things aren't getting better, they're getting continually to get worse. Uh, number three, and this is a unique approach to it, was you have a relationship or a friendship with the opposite sex, and one person wants more than the other one is willing to give. That is an indicator that it may be time to kind of reel that relationship in. And lastly, um, if it's bringing unnecessary temptation into your life. Uh, the devil works hard enough by himself. We don't need friends bringing temptation. Amen. And so... Uh, just like Wendy said a minute ago, if you have gotten to a place, I think the number one thing we can do is if we've met an indicator and we're starting to see the beginning of an end of a relationship, maybe through those indicators or there's probably several more, um, when we get to that point, it's imperative that we have conversation. It is imperative that we do things in the light, that we have openness and conversations and uh, we're going to talk a lot about boundaries today, but I do think there are phases to ending relationships in a healthy way, and they definitely start with boundaries. So great, great question. Uh, question number two, as a Christian, should I have non-believer friends? Wendy. I think this one's easy. I think the answer is yes. We, we can have non-believer friends. I think that it may look different in the word friend being pretty open and loose pretty, term, pretty right? Broad, yeah. So Jesus is our best example, right? And Jesus was not afraid to spend time with people that what we would call an unbeliever, right? right? So he was not afraid at all. And I think that there's the, the idea of we can be friends with people and not do the things they do, say the things they say, right? We can be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. How are we ever going to win someone to Jesus if we are not willing to be in relationship with them. If we are not willing to love them, to th that is, I feel like, the basis of everything that Jesus showed us. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely, yeah, I think there, there's a point in time where as a believer, um, if you're not careful, you can be so consumed and, and plugged into the church that the only faces that you ever see are faces of believers. The problem is, is as a believer, we are called to affect the non-believer. 
So you have to always look for opportunity uh, to not just be in relationship with believers, but to constantly be growing in a relationship and growing in what we, we use this term all the time, your relational equity with non-believers as well, or else how will you ever get the chance to introduce them to Christ? So yes, and I, I definitely even think say, you need This is a great time to apply 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 to yeah. us. Right? Not to the person that we're in relationship with that may not know Jesus, but am I showing them what love is? Am I showing them kindness and patience? Am I not self-seeking, but am I looking to make sure that I'm thinking of the other person more than myself? The fruits of the Spirit that we have, because Jesus lives in us, we have the Holy Spirit, so we get to show the fruit of that, right? Is that what our non-believer friends are seeing in us? That's a good time to really let the examine our own lives against the Scripture. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. Uh, Let's keep moving for sake of time. Um, I thought this one was interesting. Should I regulate who my children are friends with? Uh, Yes, 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 you better. You absolutely better. And this is another time that I feel like it's, it's what are we showing our kids, first of all, like, and how are we loving them? So um, one of the, my favorite things I've heard you do, Josh, he was counseling someone about parenting and he was talking about, I'm not, I'm going to mess this up, but basically there's like this continuum, like whenever they're young, we have all the control, right? Like we can control, I get to control who Nora's friends with because I control everything that Nora does, right? She's six. She doesn't go anywhere without me except school. I drop her off. I pick her up, right? I can control everything. Um, She relies on me for everything at this age. But there's a day coming where she's more like Maddie. And, like, I have to loosen up. Maddie's 15, 15. 15. I have to, like, loosen that up a little bit, right? Like, Maddie's going to have to be able to be places that I'm not. And Josh and I are struggling with that, if I can be very transparent. Yeah, it's a lot. We've kept a lot of control over our kids. Mm -hmm. And so we're really struggling yeah. as our kids are, as Gabe is for the first time today in another city without us. This yeah. is, this is a, a, this is more trying. I, I told someone earlier this morning, they prepared me for the attitudes of teenagers, but not for the, um, how teenagers worlds like change my world, like how I become their driver and all those things. And so as we give our kids more freedom now it's more our words and our influence on them that helps control their friendships, right? Yeah. I can keep my kids from going somewhere with a person. I can't necessarily influence everything that they, they do while they're at school, but I can try to show them um, why, show them love, show them, hey, this is why I see what you can't see. And it becomes more about my influence over them, not my control of them as they get older. Yeah, I think one of the things I always coach parents into is that it goes, uh, when they're little, my actions... Uh, and then the older they get, it's a mixture of my words, wisdom, and action. And so, uh, and as you get older, your actions really begin to kind of fall off because they're going to start taking their own actions into consideration. And at that point, it's the wisdom and the words that you give them that are so important. And we don't want our kids to think that they can't be friends with non-believers either. Right. We don't, I don't want to set that, like make it sound like that's what I'm saying either because I want my kids to know that they need to be loved to everyone, right? right. But at the same time, I don't want my kids to go, there's a boundary there. I'm not going to let them go spend time with someone that maybe participates in doing something that I wouldn't want my kids to do. So it's not a, the word friends, again, there's a loose term. That's kind of a broad definition. Absolutely. And just before we jump off this topic into the the next frame of of, of questions, um, the other night Gabe and I were riding in the car and he says, dad, can I, can I play my songs on the Bluetooth? And I said, yeah, go ahead. And, um, he 
hacks into Wendy's Yukon and um, he's playing his music and all of a sudden it's this like crazy R&B rap stuff that, that I love personally. I, it's this kind of, I love it. It's um, Country music is, uh, is great, and, but R&B is great. I listen to a lot of, a lot of stuff. Well, um, this song was so good I had to ask him, son, is this a Christian song or is this not a Christian song? Because I'll be honest, when I was growing up, a lot of Christian music wasn't really produced that well, you know. And so I asked him, I said, is this Christian music? He goes, yeah, it's Christian music. He goes, um, Coach Charles plays these Christian rap songs before practice for us, kind of get us hyped up. And it, it dawned on me that what Gabriel had been doing is he had been surrounded with the right people and that the influences that we had controlled uh, were working uh, and so, um, can I just also say this? There's a lot of times people warn us, they say, oh, you've got teenagers, boy, put on your seatbelt. Um, can I just challenge that a little bit? You know what? Celebrate if you have teenagers. You have uh, the carriers of our faith under your roof. You have an opportunity to send a shot over the enemy's bow and say, this is the future. These are the ones you have to deal with. And if we sharpen them correctly, when they go out into the world, not that we're looking for perfection, but that we're looking for those who will even in their imperfection chase after a perfect God. Amen? That's to me, is more exciting than anything else. So everybody says, oh Lord, bat down the hatches. You got teenagers. You know what? I just refuse to see it that way. I just refuse to see it that way. I'm going to speak life, and I'm going to speak joy, and, uh, and, and just pray, because as Nora becomes a teenager, we'll need those prayers. So here we go. I say that, but you know, I need to be careful how I even speak about Nora, because she has such a high energy. But can I tell you this? Really, not us. It's the devil who should watch out for Nora, because once she, once she gets locked on to a target, she is immovable. And, uh, and so we just, we just pray that all of our children, in their own unique ways, uh, find these patterns of chasing after Christ in their own way. And so uh, let's move on. Um, for, the, for the sake of time, we're going to jump over to the questions we had about family. And these are really touchy. So, yeah, Wendy, these, go ahead. Um, I would say, I think maybe this message, this I mean, all of them, but this message for sure. Definitely um, the most feedback. Yeah. And yeah. even as I applied it to my own life, I was like, wow, there's ways that I have allowed because we, we grow up in a family, right? Like the family that we grow up in is kind of like how we become who we are. Yeah. And then the Bible tells us we leave and we cleave to our spouse. Mm-hmm. But our culture, like culturally, that's hard to put into practice. It's hard to leave the only thing we've ever known yeah. and become something else. And so we've had a lot of feedback about those challenges and how maybe not navigating those challenges well have has impacted people. So... Yeah, uh, first question for family is this. Is there ever a time when we should completely remove a family member from our life? Is there ever a time? And that answer is yes. Um, the answer is, is, is sadly yes. But in, in, in these uh, few instances, number one, abuse. Um, you do not allow someone to abuse you or anyone in your house simply because they share a last name or your DNA. They do not get access to you because you share a last name. I'm sorry. Uh, if someone is abusive, you need to cut them out of your life. Um, number two, if they have the inability to honor boundaries that you've put in place. Uh, so we're, we're, like I said, we're going to talk about boundaries quite a bit uh, today. Um, boundaries are things that you put 
uh, in, in, in place, not just to protect, but also to test. Uh, if you put a boundary up and you say, listen, you know, I, I'm getting phone calls. Let's say you have a family member who struggles in uh, one, one way or another. I had a family member who for the longest time would, was, was dealing in drugs, so they would steal things. Money, if they'd come to the house, they'd take money or whatever else. So the rule became, unless I am at the house, you are not allowed there. Well, I have other family members, they have a key to the house. They can just come and go as they please, right? So if I was to ever catch that family member there without anyone else there, they have overstepped that boundary. And at that point, I have to put a stronger boundary in place, which may be until I see some fruit of, of healthy decisions in your life, I can't have you back to my home. Well, and I think one of the things, just like when we talked about friends and friendships, um, we have to be willing to have hard conversations. When yeah. we're going to put a boundary in place, let's talk about it. Let's explain it. We can't expect someone to just... Like, we put the boundary in place, but we don't tell the other person, and we just expect them to live by it, yeah, right? Yeah, that's cruel. We yeah. need to have conversations of, hey, it turns out this behavior is hurting me or my child or my spouse, and, and because of that, we're going to have to limit the time that we spend. Or it could be something easy. Like, I know we always come here for Thanksgiving, but that's not honoring Josh that he never gets to, we never get to do anything that his family wants to do for Thanksgiving. So this, we're going to alternate. This Thanksgiving we're coming here, next Thanksgiving we're not. I don't know what that looks like in any given situation, but I would say make sure that we've talked about those boundaries before we say, hey, this person isn't honoring this boundary. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I think we're going to continue that. Even this next question, it kind of goes there. And we Josh got a lot of feedback. I even saw some Facebook posts about what he said about family when he said, I'm going to mess it up, but something about don't make it cross the wedding ring. Or uh, he said, if, if it's your family, you have the conversation, right? If so like if Josh's family is causing if the problem. If it's, if it's your people, it's your problem. Yeah. yeah. And don't make the other spouse have to deal with that. I think right. that was a, some good feedback. A lot of people was like, yes, absolutely. Will you please come tell my husband that, you know, or whatever. Or wife. Or wife. Yeah, sure. Or wife. <laughs> but the truth is that leaving and cleaving that the Bible talks about is hard. It's hard to put that into practice yeah. if it hasn't happened from the beginning, right? Like maybe we've been married 20 years and it's always been this way. Yeah. It's sometimes hard to take that step back and say, okay, now what? How do we fix this now? Because we want to honor the Lord in our marriage, and that honors the Lord. Me and Josh, we're, we're one flesh, right? We are, we've left our, the homes we grew up in, and now we're clean. We've been in our marriage more than we were at home, right? So why is it so hard to do that? I don't know, but it is. And it's important that we honor God. But then again, let's go back and examine what love is. Because we had a question submitted late that I thought was really good. But what is love? As I work to fix maybe what hasn't worked well for 20 years, I'm going to have to be patient. Yeah. I'm going to have to be kind. I'm going to have to make sure that as we, as we put these boundaries in place, that I'm patient with you as you talk to your family or whatever. Yeah, I love the scripture says uh, one of the characteristics of love is not having to have your own way. Yeah. You know, wow, that's, I mean, that's a tough one by itself because our flesh wants its own way. And so I think as we, as we are trying to uh, assimilate into new traditions maybe, or maybe we're trying to reevaluate how we've done things as families, it's always imperative that we go back to the scripture and that we bring each one of these characteristics into play. So that way we know that we're doing the best we can uh, to keep the other person uh, almost higher than ourselves. And if we do that, 
then I think we're going to honor God in the process. Um, this is another great question. Um, what are some tips on dealing with toxic family members? Some tips on dealing with toxic family members. Um, the first thing I would tell you is uh, set clear boundaries. But set when clear emotions boundaries. aren't high, we talked about that. Yes, you cannot do it when you're emotional. Um, I used to tell Wendy when, when we first met that if I could amputate anything out of my life, it would be my emotions. Um, emotions, although they're, they're powerful and they're precious and God can use them, all too often the enemy uses them just as effectively as we allow the Lord to use them. Um, we saw that even yesterday. Uh, Gabe was playing a basketball game and, and, and we saw a, a mother from a team in Georgia absolutely go berserk. I mean, just wearing out on the court, just, I mean, uh, just really just lost her cool. Well, at halftime, I walk across, um, and I had to walk Nora. You know, Nora's more interested in the concession stand than she is anything else. So I walked her over, uh, and I had to walk right in front of these people. Of course, I've got on my Crestview uh, Bulls gear on, and I walk right in front of this lady, and she goes, who is your son? And I'm like. Don't worry, he ain't playing. I, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I want to answer that, you know, just in case there's repercussions. And um, I said, "Well, I said he's the he's the the big guy over here. He's on the furthest one." And she goes, "We are so grateful y'all invited us to this tournament." And she's the sweetest person. But I just saw her completely lose her marbles on the referee, and I'm thinking, "How is this the same person?" But but that's the that's the problem with emotion. If you're you know, driven by emotion. People won't get to see your true personality nor the God that you represent if you're not careful. One of my favorite Chris Hodges quotes is that choices lead and feelings follow. Well, so so if we're going to, if we will set, like have a conversation, let's say we've decided that one of our, some, our outside family members has too much influence in our marriage. Yes. We need to talk whenever our emotions aren't high about setting what are the boundaries, what are the consequences if the boundaries aren't followed, but then we also go to the family members when the emotions aren't high. Because if we will make the choice to do that, if we will always let our choices lead and our feelings follow, it will really help in all. That's a hard thing to do. It's easy to say, hard to do, but it's always good to take that step back and make sure that's what we're doing. Well, and my family being the spiritual juggernauts they are, it's generally your family that we have the problems with. That don't even hurt my feelings. Don't she knows that's a joke, feelings. and her family knows that's a joke. We've actually, we've actually been really blessed. Um, but, but some of you guys, that's a very real problem uh, when, when family members are, are constantly uh, gushing this toxicity. So what I would tell you is, is to set boundaries when emotions are not high, but also have an honest conversation about those boundaries, about, you know, if I go and I have a conversation with an aunt and I say, there's a reason why I can't be with you in the, during the holidays because you may have too much to drink and then a part of you comes out that I don't want my children to ever see. Or maybe you have a, a brother or a sister who uh, are constantly attacking your belief system or how you're raising your children. Or uh, Those are the conversations that need to come out in a non-emotional way uh, outside of the heat of the moment uh, and set clear boundaries and let them know I want you to know I still love you, but I have to create some distance because I don't want this to escalate uh, any worse. And it actually leads perfectly into our next question, uh, which again, this is phenomenal questions. What are some de-escalation techniques to prevent family drama? And 
it's going to be hard to hit everything, right? But maybe the first thing, I think I keep going back to how we started of first examine ourselves. Yeah. Are we acting in love? Like even if the other person isn't, we can choose to. Our choice can be to act in love. But next, just avoid triggering subjects. If you can't talk about uh, politics that your family thinks, then don't talk about politics that your family thinks. If someone brings something up that is a triggering subject, try to change the subject and lead back to something that was maybe something that's more positive that you can talk about. Yeah. So I think that's... Yeah, and I'll also remember uh, the verse that we've been talking about, First Corinthians, what love is. But then also remember that as a child of God, you have been gifted the fruit of the Spirit, that you can function in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and and all, each of the fruit of the Spirit is there for you to pick anytime you need it, but to function in it all the time. And so uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says, against such things, there is no law. Meaning that if you do these things, there's not anyone who's going to hold anything against you. You basically can function in these gifts and these, these amazing fruit. And, uh, and it's going to be a blessing to the situation, not harm the situation. And I love the scripture, Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, yeah. but a harsh word stirs up anger. So regardless of how someone else is responding or acting, we can still choose to be gentle, right? Yeah. Through the Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, this is a trick I learned a long time ago. If I, if I let other people um, dictate my emotional response, I've basically put a, a, a button in the devil's world that he can just slap that button and control me. Uh, I cannot let other people's actions ever control the way I function. That's hard. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard because well, people know exactly what buttons to push, especially when you're dealing with family. Um, which one are you going to, babe? Um, I just feel like we've covered that a lot. Yep. Okay, next question. What do you do when someone you love has put you out of their life? Maybe they're unwilling to forgive you, but you want to reconcile and they are unwilling. How do we go about proceeding? So this is another time that um, we have to let the scripture apply to us, yeah. right? Um, at least somewhat we have to honor the boundary. Just like we want to put boundaries in place and we want those to be honored. If someone has put a boundary in place, we have to honor that. Now let's say... The example is, hey, this is who I was, and they're judging me against who I was, but I'm someone new now, right? We know the scripture says that we're a new creation. Mm -hmm. We've put off the things of the old, now we're new. So just because that's our reality doesn't mean that that's necessarily their reality, right? They don't, they don't know that us. So we talked about this quite a bit. Um, you want to make sure that you leave a door open, right? Yeah. But you can't control someone and make them allow you into their life. So a suggestion we have is, let's say you've called, they won't take your call. You've sent a text message, they won't respond. You could send a letter. They may not open it, right? But letting them know, hey, I understand. Mm -hmm. Something happened, you haven't forgiven. Whatever the situation, try not to be uh, accusatory. Yeah, absolutely. But saying, 
your, the relationship with you is more important than anything else, more important than being right, more important than uh, winning, more important than all those things. Yeah. I just want you to know the door is open when you're ready. I'm going to honor the boundary that you've put in place, but this door is open when you're ready to walk through it. Yeah, I think one of the, the, the best things I've ever learned, uh, a friend of mine, Wayne Asperditis, told me in a really heated moment in my life, he said, until you value the person more than you value being right, you're never going to proceed correctly. And, um, and boy, in the moment, that, does, that was not what I wanted to hear because it did not validate my flesh at all. Uh, I wanted somebody to say, go tear his head off. Go find out where he's at and drag him out of his front door and just wear him out in his yard. And let right? him see things your way. Yeah, and you're going you're gonna to show him who's right, right? Well, the flesh is very rarely correct. Very rarely. And it's only correct when it does line up with the Spirit. And so uh, make sure we value people. I think at the end of the day, this whole Love Defined series has been about valuing people more than our pride. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, that's the scripture from 1 Corinthians 13. How about that? It's almost like God knew we would struggle with these things. Um, here we go. Let's move over to dating because for the sake of time, I want to honor everybody's time this morning. Dating. Uh, first question we had in dating was, am I, uh, I am dating a person who is saved but they don't desire God the same way that I do. How can I persuade them to chase God with me? Very simple. You can't. You can't. Um, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked. Now, let me be very clear. A lot of people say, well, if this person saved and this person saved, they're equally yoked. That is not necessarily correct. Uh, you can be going in the same direction and be unequally yoked. Your passion to chase after God, um, to be equally yoked, has got to be matched in the partner that you do life with. Now, this is dating. Uh, so I would tell you, if you are dating someone uh, and, and you realize that there is not this connection, that you are putting more emphasis on spiritual things than they are, you need to have a really good conversation uh, and, 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 and have some serious conversation about the fruit uh, in the future of that relationship, because as you continue to go forward, uh, my dad used to talk about trajectories and how right now we're just one degree apart. But as time goes, that one degree begets more separation. And so right now it may just be that, well, I just want to have a Bible study together, you know, at night, you know, before we break up a date, just kind of, you know, talk about the Lord for a little bit and they're not interested in doing that. It may be that they don't want to go to church. It may be whatever. They claim to be Christian. They claim to be a believer, but they don't have the same passion. Can I tell you that is unequally yoked as well? Yeah, and be prayerful about it because um, you definitely don't want to start out a relationship before marriage ever happens thinking that you are going to influence someone to do something. Right. That's not the way to start Ooh. a marriage no, is thinking that— that you are going to be able to persuade them to do something because yeah. that ain't how it works. But let's talk. I know we're still talking about dating. We're going to jump into marriage too because we had a very similar question. Obviously, that does change when you're married. And I know you covered some of this mm -hmm. um, whenever you talked about marriage. But you're already married. And let's say you're pursuing the Lord and your spouse is not pursuing the Lord in the same way. I know this doesn't feel like a great answer, but prayer really is that. Yeah. Not judgment, not condemnation. And also, is there fruit from what you're calling you're pursuing the Lord, right? Like yeah. if you're super passionate about pursuing the Lord, is what your spouse is seeing fruit of that? Or is it judgment? Because those aren't the same. Those, that's not, 
if, if we're super judgy about, well, I spend this much time with the Lord and I do this and I'm pursuing this and all you're doing is this, mm-hmm. that's not 1 Corinthians 13. No, I have, I have one uncle who um, for years did not want to go to church because all he ever heard was the complaints of his wife who went every Sunday. And, and I asked him one day, I said, man, have you ever thought about, you know, turning your life over to Christ? And he goes, well, I've given my life to Christ. I said, well, do you plug into church? And he goes, why on earth would I do a thing like that? He goes, man, he says, every time she comes home, she's griping about this, or somebody said this about so-and-so, and somebody's kid's upset about so-and-so. He said, it's too much drama. He goes, I'd rather just love God from a distance. Well, the truth is, is my aunt is really responsible in that case, for painting a bad portrait of what the local church is and should be, right? And, and I so, just think prayer and then really showing, like like realizing I can't do this. Right. I cannot persuade someone. I cannot control another human being. I cannot persuade someone to do something, but I can act in love. And then just like it's God's kindness that draws us to repentance mm-hmm. is his goodness, Let's just trust the Lord to do that in someone's life. Absolutely. Uh, we got to speed things up yep. a little bit for the sake of time. Um, I've been in a relationship for over a year with someone who doesn't believe in marriage. How can I help them see the truth? <laughs> Again, I Wendy, think I'm going to let you handle that one. Still goes back to we can't convince somebody of something, right? We can't. But I would, the only thing we can do is point them to the truth of God's word. God's yeah. really clear about his covenant of marriage. Again, in a non-judgmental, very loving way would be the only way that you're going to ever do anything well with that. But also show them community. Are you showing them healthy marriages? Are you, are they, are you inviting them to small group to show you, show, hey, here's what a healthy marriage, here's, here's the benefits of marriage. We know that there is fruit from following God's covenant. So, Yeah, two responses. Uh, first one, get out of that relationship. Um, I mean, if they don't believe in marriage, I mean, we talked about last week and, uh, we even talked about it with our, our young men and youth a few weeks ago. Why would you ever date someone you wouldn't marry? Right. Because the beauty of marriage does lie in its exclusiveness. That's what the scripture tells in Genesis chapter two. Uh, and so I think there's a, there's a beauty that marriage brings. And, and again, I can't take responsibility for the bad marriages people have seen before they met me. Right nor will I take that baggage on into a lifelong covenant, right? So make sure that there again, it goes back to being equally yoked, guys. If, uh, if somebody doesn't believe in marriage and, and, and you've tried again and again and again to expose them to God's goodness, and they, it's time to go find somebody else. Um, marriage, uh, and we're bringing this in for a landing. Um, according to the Bible, when is divorce justified? When is divorce justified? Boy, this is a, this is a tough question because so many of our families have been affected by this. Um, according to the scripture, uh, number one is infidelity. Uh, if, if one spouse has cheated on the other. Uh, the other one is um, abuse. If, if there is abuse uh, that is constant and continual. Uh, this is, you have to look a little bit deeper to find. I would turn you to 1 Samuel chapter 25. There's a story there between Abigail and Nabal uh, and, uh, and and King before he's King David, he steps into a situation to help remedy a husband that is very uh, ugly and abusive to a wife. 
Um, and so I would say infidelity and abuse. And you want to add anything to that? The only thing I want to add to that is, you know, the way the question's worded, when is it justified? I also want to give an encouragement of just because it's justified, um, the Lord can redeem anything. Amen. So I always say keep that out there. Like, and honestly, if you are divorced, you don't have to seek a justification for that. That's right. Because in the church, there's certain things that we want to point out as this is the carnal sin. Like this is the sin, even though that's not how the Lord sees it. Right. No matter what we've done, the Lord Jesus, his one act on the cross forgave it. We don't even have to keep seeking that. This kind of goes into another question we're going to get to. But we don't have to keep asking for that thing to be covered. Right. Yeah. I grew up in a church where my dad was divorced and remarried. And so he felt like he could never like like he felt like he lived under this shame and condemnation for the entirety of his life. And I just don't believe that that's the heart of our father. No, absolutely not. Um, we're going to move on uh, again for sake of time. This is a really unique question. What does the Bible say about wearing uh, wedding rings? Nothing. You don't have to spend money on a wedding ring, but your wife will really like it. <laughs> And I would say, I don't know who submitted this question or what the question really gets to. I was like, okay, I'm trying to figure out where this question came from. And like, okay, so if maybe for a job, you have to like take it off to like do a job because of safety or something, maybe, I don't know. But if there's a problem there, like someone doesn't want to wear a wedding ring, maybe we just need to get to like, what is the heart of that Okay, issue. but let me, let me just let y'all into a little insight into our house. I'm reading these to Wendy and, and, and we're talking about, she goes, why is the guy asking why she wears wedding ring? In that voice, that exact voice. That is her home voice, by the way. Um, why would? Why does he not want to wear a wedding ring? Well, we don't know that it's a him or a her. But right. but 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 there is that question, right? Why does somebody not want to, uh, you know, identify what how our culture generally identifies? Yeah. So that's marriage. The, it's more of a cultural thing than a biblical thing. That's the heart issue than more than it is like a scriptural issue on a wedding ring. Yeah. So if you have somebody who's not want to wear a wedding ring, just sick Wendy on them, and that should be fixed. All right. I'll bring out the voice. Oh, my gosh. Uh, um, here we go. <laughs> uh, you're so beautiful. Okay, here we go. This is, this is a little bit heavier, heavier question, and, 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 boy, I need you to follow as close as we wind this thing down. Is remarriage blessed biblically or not? Is remarriage, meaning I was married and divorced and now I'm remarrying, is it blessed biblically or not? The short answer is yes. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Go ahead, babe. <laughs> we, had, we actually had a lot of fun just finding, like, I knew what I believed in my heart and I've known Jesus my whole life, I always say, and so there's a lot of things that, like, my faith is just strong enough to, to just believe. And one of those things is I just feel like I know the heart of our Heavenly Father. And my parents are both divorced and remarried. Neither yeah. of them had kids from their first marriage. And um, me and my brothers, I'm going to get emotional. I don't want to. That's okay, babe. That's okay. It's okay. This is heavy stuff we're talking about. It's all right. Our fruit from that marriage. Yeah. And fruit is... Um, Exactly what it is, right? And yeah. so it just in our research, I found um, this entire like paper, some doctoral thesis someone had done. And they used Matthew 19.9. I didn't bring it up, and I hate that. But um, it's, it's Jesus, and he's saying that, um, yes, if you 
if anything other than infidelity, if you get divorced and then you get re- you cause someone to commit adultery when you get remarried. And so what I loved what they pointed out. It says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her is, who, whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And I love what it did, what this person in this thesis did. They said, okay, so yes, commits adultery. Commits is, it happened one time. When they became one flesh, okay, adultery was happened. But guess what? Take it to the cross. It's over. It's covered. It's forgiven. The truth is, Jesus called it a marriage. That's right. He said, when you marry. And this whole paper was about how when he did that, he, he said, that's a marriage and you honor it until the day you die. Just like those vows that you said when you married the person. That's a vow that you honor until death. Yeah. Because that has now superseded the other. And there is another scripture, too, that they use where he talks about, okay, like, this person's married, they get divorced, and then... She marries somebody else and that person dies and she can't go back to the other husband. It's like, oh, whoa, there's another precedent there that that marriage counted. And I just, for me, and I realize it's so funny how you can get into something and then that's when you realize you got an issue. You didn't know. You've buried it and buried it and buried it. And you didn't even know you had an issue. But when I was in a denominational church as a child, my dad wasn't allowed to have a leadership position because he was remarried. And I saw the condemnation that he carried. Yeah. And it broke my heart as a kid. I was like, what do you mean? Are we not supposed to be here? Like I had an identity issue that I didn't even realize I've carried my whole life because of this situation. Do I think that divorce is part of God's plan? No. I think he was like satisfying Moses when he first gave that. Because of how painful it is. Yeah, it causes pain. But at the same time, just like no other sin that we have, are we supposed to walk down, walk around in condemnation? That one, not either. So anyway, it blessed me to read that and, and just to realize that, you know what? God's plan was broken in the garden. And after that, a lot of nasty things happened that wasn't ever his plan. But it doesn't, that's why Jesus came. Because that's we right. can't live perfect lives. Jesus came to redeem those things. And, and because I can't expect perfection out of my kids. I, I, I can't expect it out of myself. I can't expect it out of you because God doesn't expect it. We've got to make sure that the things that we carry, the expectations we allow ourselves to carry are what the Lord is putting on us, not what any man has put on us. I'm sorry, I'm going no, the no, wrong no. way now. No, 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 I think it's great, man. It's great. Good word. I love, I love that uh, what we found is a verse, Matthew 19, 9, has been used to condemn people for far too long. Um, the Bible is very clear that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that believe. So this is the way I would tell you is to understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. If we were going to sit in here and start pointing out whose mistake is greater than the other, then start with me. I take the chair number one. I fell more than anybody. But the reason I do that is the reason why Paul said that I boast in my weakness because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Meaning that if he can, if he can still love me and he can use me to the capacity he's using me, then he can do it for anybody in here, right? There is nothing that you have done to disqualify yourself from his best. And you need to know that today. Because far too long, churches have valued the person over the principle of grace. And, 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 here's, what they, and here's what they've done. They, they've said, well, this person's more valuable than that person because of there's less sin here, maybe there's this sin here. 
can I, I tell can you? I can see this in here, but I can't see this one here. The most ridiculous things. We, we've run it. Can I tell you, there's horrible theology out there about topics like this. The Bible makes it clear. Behold, all things have been made new. Behold, all things have been made new. So even if, even if you were caught up in something then, the Bible says that God has cast your sin into a sea of forgetfulness. He is bound by his word. And we go back to God and we say, would you forgive me again? And he goes, for what? And you say, for something I did years ago. He goes, you didn't do a thing. You say, no, remember, and, and, and last week, I didn't. he goes, your sin has been thrown into this ocean of forgetfulness. Son, daughter, I, I'm bound by my word. I have forgotten your mistake. And it's only penalizing us to continually allow other humans, or maybe even worse, ourselves, to constantly condemn for our mistakes. And so today, if that's something that you struggle with, we want you to be free from that today, that there is no condemnation. And I promise you this, you will never find condemnation of that nature at Hope City Community Church. You're welcome here, no matter what your history is. We love you and we bless you. We know God's best is in front of you, not behind you. Amen. All right, we're going to end it. We've got a more fun, lighthearted question that won't make me cry. How can I continue to make my marriage a priority? Yeah, so this is something that we uh, challenge each family to do. Um, when, when God gave you the covenant of marriage, uh, other than your salvation, that is your most important covenant. It is your number one thing. It's easy to like get our priorities backwards, right? I know Josh oh, talked about that last week. So, you know, even we fail at this all the time, yeah. but we do try to keep it in front of us. We yep. want to text each other often. Yep. We want to prioritize each other. Yeah. Make time and finances for date night. Yep. Um, make knowing your spouse and their desires a focal point in your life. Stay in prayer for your spouse. Uh, and lastly, today, we want to put it into action as we close. If everybody would just join us and stand on your feet as we close out service. Um, we, we want to put this in, uh, in a tactical formation for you that you can use. Uh, the last point that we challenge you to do as a married couple is to pray together. I know it might feel weird. Yeah. It might feel really weird. I promise you the first time it will feel weird. But what's powerful is that the scripture says if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. So the covenant of your marriage has multiplied your spiritual efficacy times 10. And so when we come into agreement as a marriage, as Josh and Wendy, we now have multiplied our spiritual strength times 10 and anything we go after together. The Bible says uh, that one can be challenged, two can be overcome but a, a cord of three folds shall not be broken easily. Meaning that me by myself, man, you can overrun me easily. Us by ourselves, you might have a shot, but us and the Lord together is not easily broken. So today as we close, Wendy and I just wanted to pray together for you and then I'm gonna bless you before you go. So babe, I'll let you go ahead and start. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just first of all thank come you, to you humbled and thankful. I thank you, Lord, that you meant for us to do life in relationships, yes. in friendship, in family, 
and ultimately in marriage and that it's beautiful. But yeah. Lord, you also knew that it wasn't going to be easy. And so, and it's really just not, it's not easy. But God, I thank you that we can come to your word, Lord, and we can find encouragement. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you would just go before us in that, that you would help each and every one of us in every type of relationship that we are in, Lord, to just be able to check ourselves against your word or to be, and to be guided and directed by your word. God, you're so faithful to perform your word. And you tell us that, Lord, if we will just seek you first, then all these other things will be added. And God, I believe that this direction, Lord, that is we can have plans in our heart, but you prepare our steps. Lord, all these scriptures that I can think of, Lord, that help me realize that I can put your word into action in my relationships. And if yeah. I will come to you and seek you and Lord, just apply love to all of my relationships, Lord, that your promises will prevail. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. Husbands, grab the hand of your wife now. Just grab your wife's hand and just begin to speak blessings over her. Father, I just bless my wife. I thank you, Lord, for drawing her closer to you today than she was yesterday. I thank you, Lord, for the strength in her body and the air in her lungs. Father, I pray that every day you would use her, Father, to further your kingdom's purpose. Father, I thank you that even our children rise up and call her blessed. Father, I thank you for the wisdom that she brings to this partnership. I thank you, Lord, for the strong and capable partner that you brought into my life. Father, I thank you that you will even lead me and direct me, Lord, through the wisdom that you'll bring her. I thank you, Lord, that we can trust in one another, that there is nothing hidden in our home, Father, that we have exposed all things to you and to each other, and I thank you that we can live in freedom today. Father, bless my wife. Bless her. I thank you, Lord, that she'll be fruitful in everything she touches, that it will multiply and it will increase your kingdom's purpose. And I give you the praise for it. Now, wives, just begin to bless your husbands now. Lord, I just thank you for Josh. I thank you, Lord, that you brought us Hallelujah. together, Lord, that you led me to Josh, led him to me, and that, Lord, it is beautiful, even when it's hard, even when it's a choice and not a feeling, the love between us. God, I just thank you for it. And God, I just pray that you would bless yeah. Josh, that you would direct him as he leads our home. Lord, that you will help me as a wife to be not only submitted to him and to what I know that you've called him to be, Lord, to respect him, to trust him, and that my actions, the way that I actively love him will show him that I do respect him, trust and trust him to lead our home. God, I pray that you would just continue to just pour out your blessings upon him, Lord, that you would be before him, behind him, above him, and below him, Lord, you, Lord, that as he's on this earth, Lord, that your scripture would be true, that he would continue to increase in wisdom and in favor with man and with you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as, as wives, as we go out that we will, Lord, just understand what the scripture says when it when you tell us to submit to our husbands, you, Lord. Lord, but that we would submit to them in a way, Lord, that they can be elevated to be the spiritual, Lord, godly leaders of our home Thank that you've you, called them to be. Lord, I pray for any marriages where a woman feels like that may not be true for her house, God. I pray that you would just just love on her, wrap yeah. your arms around her, Lord, and show her, Lord, that Thank she you, can Lord. pray heaven's will onto this earth, that she can bind on earth what's bound in heaven, that she can loose on earth what's loosed Jesus in heaven, man. that it is not her job to Thank make you, him man. the leader of her home, but Lord, that it is your job to compel him and to draw him to you. And God, I pray that, Lord, our love in action with our 
with our spouses, with our friends, with our family, Lord, that we will just learn to be that, that it's not just a feeling, but that it is also an action. Lord, convict us and lovingly correct us if there's any area of our lives where, Lord, we actually need to apply this scripture to our lives. And Father, lastly, I pray that you would just bless us and keep us. Be gracious to us and show us your favor. Make your face shine upon us and give us peace both now and forevermore. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet, I thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Not even our own pride, not the attacks of the wicked one. But Father, that wisdom would have its perfect way in our homes, in our relationships, in our family, especially in our marriages. Father, we thank you for wisdom as we go forward. Father, we love you and we give you praise and we ask that you would bring us back next week with more wisdom and more of your word locked away in our heart. And for that, we'll be eternally grateful. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. God bless you, we love you, and we'll see you next week. For more information about Hope City Community Church, visit www.hopecitycc.com. Until next time.